John Connor. Hey, Prague fans. Welcome to yet another episode of the Ultimate Prague Podcast Project. My name is Tony, and I am joined tonight by Craig and Lee. We are three friends and Prague aficionados here to talk about the history and the craft of progressive music while sprinkling in our always unvarnished opinions of the music and personalities that make this genre so great. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at UP3Show or on Mastodon at UP3Show on the Mastodon.social. We also have a homepage at up3show.com where we put out extra stuff out there, episodes, multimedia content. And then if you'd like to reach out to the show, feel free to do so at up3show at gmail.com. If you just can't get enough of the show, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our podcast page at up3show.podbean.com or wherever it is that you get podcasts. This makes sure that you never miss an episode and helps other prog fans find the show. Tonight, I'm going to start with you, Lee. What have you been up to since last we spoke? Oh, well, I've been pretty busy. I've been rebuilding a hot tub, of all things. <laughs> you know, for people of our demographic, that, like, is totally in the line. <laughs> yeah, actually, probably true. Yeah, I thought I'd get away with just ripping out the spa controller and uh, replacing it with a new one, but turns out that wasn't the case. I got all that in and fired it up, and turns out I still have pumps that are leaking. By the time it's done, I'm going to replace everything. You're going to have a brand new hot tub. the shell. Yeah, except the shell and the the PVC, but everything else will be brand new. Did you ever get a shock? It seems seems dangerous. No, not at all. No. Power off. He remembers to unplug it. Yeah, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's actually um, more straightforward than I thought it would be. But then I also just upgraded all my studio gear to Native Instruments 14 and... Oh, yeah, wow. and that got me a whole new set of sample libraries. So I've started back in doing some writing, and I've been taking apart a couple of cover tunes and putting them on um, some contact samples. And nice. Been having a ton of fun of that. I just finished doing Song for America by Kansas. Can I ask you a question about Song for America? Yeah, go for it. Two things. Did you go from the sheet music, or did you just hear ball all that? No, no, no. I took about four different MIDI files that are in public domain, just posted on the web, mm-hmm. took them apart, and they all had various instrumentations, some of them terrible, some of them great. Uh-huh. One would have like a great violin, but the drums were awful. And so I cobbled a bunch of that together. Got it. And then I did have to do about 20% of it, I guess I'd say, by ear. Now, during the piano ostinato part, that 916 thing, I think it's 9. It's either 11. Yeah. There's a couple of bars of 11.16, but the piano break is all 9.16. Anyway, did you play that live or was that from public domain as well? Because that was dead nuts on. Yep. That was from a one very good MIDI file, that Ostinata part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't believe the way that started out. It sounded exactly like the album. It's beautiful. It blew me away. Totally cool. Yeah. That was really, really greatly. Yeah. Thanks. That's what I've been up to. And what about you, Craig? I have COVID. <laughs> That's enough. I got a hanky over the microphone so you guys are okay. okay. Good. 
Um, I've been in pretty much all week, except yesterday I went out and played music with my pals and told him I was contagious. And the trombone players, also a doctor, he's like, I don't give a shit. Wow. <laughs> and you know, I kept sort of safe yeah. distance. And so we played for you know, three and a half hours and that was great. Craig will stay on the other side of the stage. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that would have been great to see all of the band over here and then Craig. Yeah. Pretty much that. I'm just uh, playing a bunch of music, dealing with work stuff they don't care about. That's pretty much it, man. Don't get COVID. That's all I have to say. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. My wife and I both got it and she's like had almost no symptoms. She just sleeps from time to time and I got pretty sick for a couple of days. Yeah. That's a bummer. Glad you're better. Yeah. Thanks. How about you, Tony? So I've spent the past month in the process of changing jobs. Yeah. Hello. That takes a lot of work. And then we have a family friend who's from Japan that we haven't been able to see since before the pandemic. And now travel restrictions are released a bit. But we first knew her when she was a 12-year-old child. And now she's a young woman. And it was great to see her and, and relate to her in a different way. Nice. Yeah, it's been great. I think she flies home on Tuesday. And we're going to miss her. It's been three and a half weeks or so. It's been really, really great. That's awesome. Very cool. Did you get along with your daughter? You know, that's a very interesting question because my daughter is six years younger than her. Mm-hmm. In the past, it's not been great, but this has been a really, really great trip. Good. That's cool. What have you guys been listening to? Lee, I'll start with you again. I have been listening to Haken, new album, Fauna. And I did get the deluxe edition again, which I love because it's the album. And then it's the whole album with just instrumentals, no vocals. Mm-hmm. And I just cannot say enough about this band. They just continue up and to the right. Great album. Very mature album for them, and you can really hear the difference with Peter Jones being back in this now. There's a little more acoustic piano edge to it, a little more even jazzier piano pieces to it. Mm-hmm. And the song Elephants Never Forget, I just think that's a fantastic song. So, loving this album. I did buy New Periphery and New Redemption, but I just haven't given it the time I need to, so mm-hmm. I'll save that for next time. Awesome. What about you, Craig? Well, just to change it up, I've been listening to uh, some jazz. (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, I've got an interesting uh, observation. Oh, good. So one of the songs that we're doing for our combo is from Charlie Parker called Yardbird Suite. Mm -hmm. And we're playing it and the lead, it's like, I recognize this song. And it turns out Yardbird Suite is a play on words from Firebird Suite. And the way I know it is from the beginning of every Yes concert. Starts with Firebird Suite. Yeah, Stravinsky. Yeah, that's really cool. It's like... And also some 70s uh, Manfred Mann album also had that same lick. Wow. And I just think that's always been a cool thing that prog bands kind of sneak in some classical influence. Yeah. And here, God bless him, Charlie Parker did the same thing. That's cool. So Yardbird Suite, cool song. Go listen to it. It's uh, very upbeat, real cool. This is one of the things that I get out of this show and this community. I think people have a more diverse palette of music and Mm -hmm. they get all those references. And that's really, really cool. For me, what I've been listening to is a few weeks ago, we went to see Riverside live in Boulder, and their opening act was half of a band called The Siberium, Yep, Mm -hmm. and I really, really liked what I heard acoustically, or semi-acoustically anyway. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I went out and bought all their shit on Bandcamp, like I normally do, and they did a performance of a track, which is actually an entire EP called the butterfly effect and it is absolutely stellar Mm. having the full band with drums keys 
all of it together, mm-hmm. the whole EP is really, really great. And I think I want to pursue trying to have them on the show at some point in the future because they're a really, really great band. That's a great idea. I went for Riverside, and as I often happens to me, yeah. I went for one band, and I'm walking away really in love with the opener. <laughs> so It's like Arch Echo. Glad you did that, because I had the same reaction. I will go pick that it's up. It's awesome, and they have a lot of synth in it. Oh, wow. Cool. Some of the tracks are really, really synth-heavy, which we didn't actually get to experience live, because it was mm-hmm. a guitar and a bassist. That's right. Having said that, as a two-piece, they were amazing. They did a really good they job. They were amazing. Their energy was great. Their performance was great. Super duper duper tight. Yep. Yeah, I think that that actually can't be overstated. How tight they were as a two-piece. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you guys are listening, awesome, yep. awesome job. Great job. I mean, kudos. Yep. And that brings us back around to news and new releases. So what do you got for us this monthly? News. First of all, the band Camel has canceled their 2023 farewell tour called The Final Chapter, which is just very sad to me. That band's been around forever and ever. I'll eventually get around to a Camel episode, but Andy Latimer, their guitarist, has just had all kinds of health problems in his latter years, so very sorry to hear that, Andy. Hope you guys get better soon. March was a very strong month for releases. ACT's Falling, Periphery, Gent is not a genre. And by the way, that's a great title, but mm-hmm. I wish they'd spelled it D-G-E-N-R-E. Gent is not a genre. But anyway. <laughs> Hagen Fauna, Redemption, I Am the Storm, Exploring Birdsong, Dancing in the Face of Danger, all out in March. And by the way, the Exploring Birdsong, I got it on Bandcamp, and they're doing flack versions of this. Oh, most bands on Bandcamp do flack. Yep, yeah, it's great. New Jethro Tull, Roke Float, will be April 21st. We've talked about that. Matt Dorsey, the bassist vocalist for Sound of Contact, and in Continuum, is releasing his first solo album, Let Go. That'll be April 7th. And he's got two teasers out, Man and Impossible Friends, which I like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mystery has announced a new album, Redemption, which will come out in May. And we have been watching the Peter Gabriel slow trickle of teasers. Mm -hmm. Again, no date for any kind of album release for IO, the album. But he has announced a North American leg of his tour. Tony is probably planning a flight, if I know Tony. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I talked to my wife about that. And she was like, is Denver anywhere on the future plans? And I was like, yes. And she's like, just plan on Denver. (laughs) Yes. I was like, no, I want to go to L.A. (laughs) She's like... Just plan on Denver. (laughs) Well, either way, you're going to have to liquidate a whole lot of stock options and sell a kidney because there's no way that's going to be cheap. (sighs) No kidding. Done. (laughs) (laughs) There's a new band coming out of Norway, and I don't even know how to try to pronounce this. Just imagine it's Ikea. A-V-K-R-V-S-T. Avkervist. And they have a new track out called The Pale Moon, which I found really interesting. Really odd mix of prog metal and a mm-hmm. little bit of orchestral almost. I saw it too, and I only got a couple minutes into it and got distracted doing something else, but I need to go back and listen to that whole track. Oh, I really liked it. Yes has announced a new album. It's going to be coming out May 19th, Mirror to the Sky. Did you listen to any tracks? They put a single out called Cut from the Stars, Yeah, and I found it boring as heck. I yawned. Yeah, it just does not do anything for me anymore. Gotta say. So it's now a no. It's a meh, definitely in my <laughs> book. Serious meh. We're waiting on the new album from the Ocean Collective, Holocene, May 19th. Yes. Very excited for that. First teaser is Parabiosis. 
And Einar Solberg, we're watching for his solo album, 16, which will be coming out June 2nd. And he released a second teaser. His first teaser is called Grotto. Mm -hmm. Came out a couple weeks ago. Second teaser is A Beautiful Life. And I really liked the mix of the slow ambient, the acoustic. Mm -hmm. And then the chorus just really rocks with some pretty good heavy prog metal. It does. I'm really, really excited for this. I was really impressed with that. So, yeah. Pattern Seeking Animals, we're still waiting. Uh-huh. That's probably not going to be till next season. And Kairos, we're waiting on both of those. The only one that's not in that list that I want to make sure people are aware of right now is that Floor Janssen has a new album, My Paragon. It is more on the pop metal side of things, but there's definitely metal in it. So if you're a Nightwish fan, I encourage people to check that out. Very cool. Thank you very much, Lee. What do you have for us that's unheard of, Craig? Well, I don't know if it's unheard of for others. It's been kind of on and off for me. This is a band that we've talked about a little bit here on the show, and I've always debated whether or not to do it as an unheard of or an actual episode, but I'm going to do it as an unheard of. The band's called Osric Tentacles. The reason I want to talk about them is, like I mentioned, I just had COVID. The first couple days, man, I was you know doing the fever dreams and chills and the whole thing, and I set up a little Pandora station of Osric Tentacles and just tripped out for two days and listened to Osric Tentacles, and it's like, ah, oh, this is cool stuff. So Osric Tentacles, they're kind of a hybrid jam band, electronica, EDM, prog. And I'm not too into the jam band scene, but the thing that separates these guys from the rest of them is they've got kind of an edge. Mm-hmm. They've got some good guitar-y stuff, so it's not entire space music. So I'm just going to throw in a clip first, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the band. Somebody likes their synth LFOs in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I dig that. They got a cool sound. So let me tell you a little bit about these guys. They were formed in 1983. I had no idea they'd been around that long. They had 30 albums out. They have had a bunch of lineup changes over the years. The one constant is this guy named Edwin, who uh, also happened to play Herman Munster. And then I, I was going <laughs> to say, what? didn't he play Herman Munster? He's the brains behind the operation. They're a four-piece Ed on guitars. They got a keyboard player, a bass player, a person named Brandy Wynn, Tim Wallander on drums. They've had a million personnel changes. Definitely on the sort of hippy-dippy side of things, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm do another clip. They have a million songs, million live things, so I can't really talk too much about you know one song versus the next yet. I just don't have that that command. But this one was cool too, so. It's one of those things where it could just be space music and I wouldn't really dig it that much. 
mm-hmm. but there's a little X factor in there that I can't put my finger on. And I've tried to get into a bunch of different jam band kind of things, like Disco Biscuits. I've always wanted to love those guys, mm-hmm. and it's never quite done it for me. This is kind of like what I wish Disco Biscuits was. Anyway, there is a Colorado connection to these guys, even though they're an English band. The main guy is Ed Wynn. He moved to Colorado and lived either in Fort Collins or Boulder. I saw conflicting information online, but in the early 2000s, he packed everything up and moved to Colorado, all the archives and masters for their LPs and stuff like that, and lost them all in a forest fire. Oh, man. He was living in the forest? He was living in the woods outside of either Fort Collins or Boulder. One last clip I want to do. Now, this one is not quite an isolated guitar track, but it's like Ed playing guitar over top of a backing track, and it just kind of shows this dude's kind of got it together, man. And that goes for five minutes. Wow. Nice. Early on, there was a, another member of the band called Rolly Wynn, and I believe it's either a brother or a relative, um, and he r- had issues, and he took his own life. Mm. It was uh, unexpected and really a tragedy, and just hear about that with people involved in the arts. Sometimes mental illness kind of goes hand in hand with that. Yep. Again, they've been around forever. They have historically toured quite a bit. They do a lot of festivals overseas, and uh, definitely check them out. And there you go. That's this week's Unheard Of. Awesome. I like that second sample. Yep. In that spacey, ambient kind of way. When we did a prog, not prog before, I used the techno band Orbital as an example. That kind of reminded me of Orbital a bit. I really like that. Pretty much every one of their songs, it usually has a spacey part, and then a jam part, and then a spacey part, and then a jam part. Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you, Tony. All right, let's go talk about something kind of different, but kind of the same. So when I was talking last month, I was talking about this documentary with Dave Grohl and the studio in Los Angeles and kind of the history of the studio. And, you know, as I'm wont to do, I like to go and like figure out these kind of behind the scenes types of stories. Because it was really interesting in that documentary to hear about all of the pickup bands and jam sessions and stuff like that that happened at these studios. We've talked about this with you guys when you grow up and you have like your little jam band with your friends and stuff like that. It never really amounts to anything commercial, but maybe you're known in a particular clique of people or what have you. And I came across this band in the L.A. scene called Obsidian, and I was really, really intrigued by them because. There's not much known about them. They were kind of this hidden jewel inside of the recording artist and tech and people in the scene. No one in the public ever really knew about them. They did perform live occasionally, but they weren't really this big deal. Mm -hmm. It's always fascinated me. We've talked about how like in a prog world, you get enough creative people in a room and surely they're going to start jamming and and doing stuff. And this seems like it was one of those cases. Mm Mm-hmm. So the band Obsidian was this underground, they call them art rock and prog rock and prog metal. 
I definitely see the prog metal. I don't see as much straight ahead prog rock in the samples and the art rock in the samples. But they were like this prog metal band that was formed in the mid 90s. And you were saying they were LA based? I think all of the members ended up being LA based. Maybe New York. I don't know for sure because there's very little known about this band because they kind of had this cult background and following. Because I was wondering, you know, there's always that Laurel Canyon yeah. connection from back in the day. I always wonder if that's still a thing. From the friends that I have in LA, I know that there's this really small community in North Hollywood, Burbank, mm-hmm. Glendale kind of area. John Baghold, he's in that area, and so I'm sure he could tell us all about what's currently going on in that area. Sure. It seems like they picked up there. And what was interesting to me is that the key members of this band, they were musicians, but they were mostly studio techs, roadies, people that were around other bands doing that second tier work. For example, some of them would be on tour with one band and another would be on tour with a different band. If they happen to all be coinciding in a particular city at the same time, they try and put together a show unannounced. Mm -hmm. That seemed pretty cool. The band wrote and recorded self-published stuff. These were all like scratch tapes on cassettes. And then when they finally did release a CD, it was burned copies of a CDR (laughs) because it was the mid-90s. So they did this off and on from approximately 93 until about 99. And all of it was recorded when they had downtime recording for other folks. The only known recording samples appear to have been these tapes and CDs that were circulating amongst people in the artist community. And then some of them eventually creeped onto eBay, I heard, but I've never seen them. And eBay doesn't go back far enough in time to figure this out. The original members met in 93, from what I can tell, and they were Tom Mitchell. They credit him as a vocalist, but most of the tracks that I have found they're all ambient instrumental, so I don't know what they were counting as vocals. He's just doing oohs and ahs. Probably like, like I don't know. Oh yeah, that's right, because it's metal. <laughs> and a guitarist, John Knight, and they met in LA when they were both supporting Nine Inch Nails to record the Downward Spiral. Oh, cool. Famously, Trent Reznor rented out the house where the Tate murders happened and recorded there. But even being a Nine Inch Nails fan, that was kind of this amorphous time for Nine Inch Nails where people came and went from the house. There was all this equipment set up and they just recorded. And so in between sessions recording stuff for Nine Inch Nails, apparently Mitchell and Knight would get together and they jam, record some stuff. And from what I can tell, the first two tracks that came out of these sessions were parts of songs that would eventually go on to be known as Paths to the Past and then Fables and Legends. They're recording cassettes, which if I remember correctly, cassettes of that day, like long play cassettes were like 45 minutes aside. Yeah. So they're doing these super long tracks on cassettes. A given cassette, A-side and B-side, would be like four tracks because that's all they could fit. (laughs) So these guys were doing these super long, epic things. Now, I'm not sure on whether or not in this time period the next several songs were written, but there was additionally songs called Echoes of Andromeda and Rise of the Phoenix. These songs as a collective would eventually end up on a tape called The Beginning of the End in 1994. I'm going to play a track called Rise of the Phoenix that came from that tape. And this is not even a full sample. It was hard to find full samples. You'll probably be able to hear this was a computer recording of a tape of a tape of a tape. (laughs) 
I freaking love that. <laughs> yeah, like I love the metal side of that. That's some strong drums for as old as that is. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the uh two guitars in harmony. Yeah, it reminds me a lot actually of what was going on with other heavy metal in the time. It's got some like yeah. late mm-hmm. stage megadeth and stuff like that in there. Um, heavy double bass. Yep, really yeah. like that. And so that came out on a tape in the community. Huh. I couldn't tell if anyone ever encouraged them to approach a label. These guys were content, seemingly, to just go write music. They had access to gear. They had access to studios. They had access to all the equipment. And they would just go record it. Yeah, why not? I mean, you know, they're hanging out with other bands, and it's like, yeah, we can do that too when they want. I mean, what would you do if you had a studio and tons of instruments and some time at your disposal? And talent. Obviously, have talent. Absolutely. Now, as it turned out that later... Famously, Nine Inch Nails brought out the Downward Spiral and then was selected to perform at Woodstock 94. And this appears to be a pivotal moment for Obsidian because Mitchell was then selected to go provide tech support for Nine Inch Nails there. And during the weekend of Woodstock, um, he was just sharing copies of the tape with people. And it was kind of in this community of people that were there going, hey, I really like this, where they were kind of encouraged to go on and do more than just this one tape. Because it seemed like from what I could find, they would have just recorded this one tape and then called it a day, like moved on with their life. I couldn't find anything where the members of Tool definitely knew them. But I know that the members of Tool knew Henry Rollins because Henry Rollins appeared on the original Tool Undertow album. And at Woodstock, Henry Rollins became enamored with them and introduced them to someone called Robert Rodriguez. And I don't know if you guys know him. No. Apparently he was working with Peter Gabriel because Peter Gabriel was at Woodstock 94. And Rodriguez was supporting Peter Gabriel as a roadie and guitar tech. He would actually go on to join these guys as a permanent member of the band, which is another thing from that previous sample. It was just the two of them doing all of that at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. And then before Woodstock ended, they actually were introduced to one of my favorite percussionists, Manu Kache. Oh, yeah. I'm actually really interested in this answer because I love Manu Kache. And they ended up recording the suite, kind of what I was talking about before, uh, the Siberium's Butterfly Effects suite. They recorded this entire side of a tape called the Black Hole Symphony. And as far as I know... Manu Kache only laid down like the guide drums and then they re-recorded it, but it's possible that he did the whole thing. But they got Manu Kache to help them out with stuff that was never going to become public. And so that track, the epic track Black Hole Symphony, would end up appearing on their next release, which they would self-publish in 96, called Existential Dread. This second release was a stylistic change for them. It went more in that soundscapey atmospheric ambient kind of what you were describing earlier craig is like spacey sounding mm-hmm. i'm going to play a sample of the black hole suite here in a moment and it doesn't feel as atmospheric as i would have thought this has definitely got a metal edge to it but there are definitely metal bands that i like that do atmospheric where it's still driving metal but they're like building a soundscape right i'm going to go ahead and play a small bit of the black hole suite and I think the quality is kind of bad on this because of the tape stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
And that is just the sample I could get for part one. That's like a four or five part suite. I wish I could hear the whole thing and I wish I could hear it in higher quality because just the titles I could find from the tape, like the Black Hole Symphony Part 1, Particles of Paradise, the Black Hole Symphony Part 2, Quasar, the Black Hole Symphony Part 3, The Singularity, and then the Black Hole Symphony Part 4, Event Horizon, which just from the titles and all the cool Arion stuff that I love, that was like, it seems right up my alley. I wish more of the stuff existed. Yeah. It seems like they should have Stephen Hawking on vocals. <laughs> Yeah, that would be that would actually be really, really I guess Roger great. Waters did that at one point. So now sadly, it seems like they released this in ninety-six just into the community like they did. So these first two were tapes and they just started circulating. As it turns out, in the spring of ninety-seven, John Knight's wife, Christine, died during the birth of their second child. Oh man. He would just end up walking away from the recording industry altogether. He just said, you know, I've got to go get a day job and support my kid. Later on, though, Mitchell apparently seemed to have been on the second album. Maybe it's because there were issues with all of this. I don't know. But it seems like Mitchell's influence was more prominent on the second release. And so he got more of the credit. Then by the spring of 98, after John's wife had died, Mitchell announced that he'd been collaborating with someone called Dave Wilson a journeyman guitarist and also like a part-time sports camera operator for ESPN or something. <laughs> but that kind of tells you these guys are just working gigs wherever they can get gigs. I, I totally get that. Right. So Dave Wilson comes in to replace John Knight. So then eventually in 99, their final release comes out. And this is the only one that ever went first to CD. So as I find from my research, people would occasionally dub the tapes over to CDR. Mm -hmm. I was a teenager in those days. That was a total painting in the ass. And so I get why people would do that. But this final album called Chronicles of Chaos was released sometime in 99 around the Woodstock 99 festival. This returns to more of the straight ahead metal sound of it. It doesn't have the guitar influence of John Knight, but apparently the people who had been in the community supporting them were not as impressed. <laughs> and they were like, you guys have kind of become like a little bit of a self-parody and then somewhere around 2000, there was some underground magazine, you know how they do those fanzines? Sure. So I think this was a zine out of New York called For Art's Sake, that Mitchell said that without John Knight, the heart of the band was missing. He recognized it and knew it and would not pursue additional music as Obsidian unless Knight could come back to the band, which I think was a kind of a cool thing. Yeah. yeah, sure. You don't see that very often. So this last sample should be a bit higher quality. And this one is called Chaos Reigns and it's off of 99's Chronicles of Chaos. I had to dig to find these samples. Yeah, you went deep. There is very little known about these guys. I wish that I could get more out of this. So, as I said, only the final release featured a release directly to CD, and that was amateur CD-ROM, not anything commercial. The first two releases were produced as cassettes and self-produced. Actually, all of it was self-produced. 
The audio qualities of everything that exists, as you heard here, is very, very poor. No known original copies still exist. I'm sure there's something in someone's attic or basement or something. I want to read the titles of some of these things that are missing because it makes me so jealous (laughs) to want to go listen to this. So in 1994, that first release, the A-side was a track called The Beginning of the End, which was 7 minutes and 46 seconds long. Then Echoes of Andromeda, which is 12-12, and then Paths to the Past, which is 19 minutes. Wow. Those were the two that apparently they were doing this pickup in the Nine Inch Nail sessions. And then on the B side is a track called Rise of the Phoenix, which is 9-14. And then Fables and Legends, which Dream Theater has entered the chat here, 23 minutes and 30 seconds. Super long track. So then a couple years later, they have this cassette called Existential Dread. As I said, the A-side is a track called Indigenous Absentia, mm-hmm. which is 1515. Now, I don't have any audio of that, but I've heard that it's commentary on colonialism. And then the second track on that side is called Magino, just 20 minutes and 44 seconds. And then the B-side is what I was telling you guys about before. That entire side is the Black Hole Symphony Suite. Okay. And then the final release is literally only three tracks. Hmm. A track called Ashes to Ashes, which is 9 minutes and 56 seconds long. Chaos Range, which is 1717. And then this track called Millennium, which as I was able to figure out is like some kind of tribute to the turning of the millennium. Because everyone had Y2K fever and everything and everyone was talking like, the computers are going to melt down and eat our face and and all of that. So I guess this was their kind of... Go hide in the bunker. ...take on that. And I, I do have some album art that I was able to scrounge up for that one. And it's like this desolate cityscape of like kind of planet of the apes style like art and (laughs) stuff like that so the primary reason there's not a whole lot about this band is because april fools this is not a real band now that the cat's out of the bag i want to talk to the audience a little bit and talk with you guys a little bit the chat's out of the bag we've been wanting to do some kind of april fools joke for a couple of years now yes And right now in the zeitgeist is AI this, AI that. So listeners, everything you heard me talk about, all of the music that you listen to, I'm going to put up on up3show.com this Wikipedia page that ChatGPT created for us. It's all AI generated. Yeah, that's amazing. That's bizarre. AI is coming. AI is here. Especially among creative people, this existential dread about what is AI going to mean for creative people. And I think a lot of creative people are really frightened. Yeah. AI is coming for my job. Mm-hmm. And I just want to get, I guess, maybe a first pass from you guys, because you let me kind of run wild with this and then put together the Wikipedia page from ChatGPT. What was your impression of the quality of things? I was amazed at how well it did pretty much from the very beginning, Mm -hmm. because we literally had a production meeting to talk about how to do this. Later that night, you posted something, and I was surprised first and second pass just how well it did, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at least with creating fake bios for people, and this person comes into the band, this person leaves the band. That, to me, was pretty amazing. Right. So I've played with ChatGPT quite a bit since it's been out, and I've actually used it to do little bits of my job from time to time to see how it did. So I'm kind of familiar with that. I have had zero interaction with the music, and you're telling me that all of those audio clips were AI generated based on prompts from you. So actually, not from prompts from me. So what I want to do there is explain. Tell, talk about Can that. Can you walk through it? Yeah. 
So how this was all created. So as Lee just alluded to, we had this production meeting and within minutes, Craig and I went over to ChatGPT. We're creating bands and all kinds of stuff. The prompt is super simple. The prompt says, write a Wikipedia page about a prog band that existed between 1972 and 1981, right? And boom, within seconds after that, you have an entire Wikipedia page laid out before you. So a little bit about how this was put together. This was like multiple iterations, refining the prompts. Sometimes I had to say include a discography and it would just do all of that. So from a text perspective, everything I read is part of the history of this band and everything. That's how it was all put together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something that you'll see once you go over and you're looking on up3show.com is there's some art. There's also this AI generated art tool called Dolly. Mm -hmm. The counterpart to Dolly in the open source world, which is what I like to use, actually I use it for my Dungeons and Dragons game and some other things, is called Stable Diffusion. And so I used Stable Diffusion with some key prompts here and there to generate this art. And I was able to tell Stable Diffusion, create it in this aspect ratio. So since I knew from the chat GPT description that the first two releases were on tape and then the last one was on CD, the first two pieces of art were created in the cassette tape aspect ratio. And then the last one was created in the CD jewel case ratio. And so that got the art. So you told it, this is a band and it's this kind of band. And do you give it any of that? No. So the way I did the art was from the title, I kind of knew what the vibe of the release was going to be. Okay. So like for existential dread, I did psychedelic picture, existential dread, keyword, that kind of stuff. And then it generated the art. Okay. Got it. Mm. And then Chronicles of Chaos, because of the track titles, I knew it was Millennium, Planet of the Apes vibe. So I kind of typed <laughs> some of that in, like Cityscape, Overgrown, Hyper-Realistic, Got like it. those kinds of keywords, and then it generates the art. By the way, the art is pretty amazing in itself. It's cool. It is really cool. I would love to share people the art that didn't get used, oh, because okay. <laughs> there's so much cool art. In fact, a colleague of mine at my old new company... <laughs> <laughs> He plays in my Dungeons and Dragons game with me, and his character is described for the group. And every week between sessions, he runs keywords from the last session's notes through Stable Diffusion to generate the artist's journal. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. It's drawing scenes from our campaign. It's that's wild. fabulous. Wow. And then the last component for this episode that we generated was the music. Yeah. I am dying to see what you did. This is where things kind of went off of the rails a little bit. So there are multiple AI music generating tools out there. So the company that does ChatGPT is a company called OpenAI. They have a AI music generator tool called Jukebox. Okay. And if you go to their page, you can find all these samples of things that they've generated. And this is not just for music. This is the way all of these things work. They train them on these large data sets. Yeah, the internet. So for text, they're going to train it on the internet. For images, they're going to train it on public domain art, classical art. For music, they trained it on hundreds of thousands of hours of music. Unfortunately, a lot of it is copyrighted. And so when they go to regenerate music, you get a lot of like, hey, that's a Marillion song. (laughs) Or those are literally Nine Inch Nails lyrics. And so... I did some experimenting on my end and tried to actually train it against instrumental music. And this is where Lee and I buying the deluxe editions of things is really great. 
because I have instrumental versions of a lot of songs. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to train it, but I never could quite get it to work. So I went searching and seeing, like, is there a different kind of tool that I could use for free? And eventually I found a website called evokemusic.ai. And what Evoke has done is they have trained their data on more general instrumental, like you don't get as many lyrics in their things and stuff like that. So all of these audio samples were taken out of Evoke's public library. And what I filtered on there was give me progressive rock that sounds metal. And then you get these other like atmospheric keywords like aggressive or pensive. And so all of these samples came out of that. Okay. What I did is then just turn around and run it through a filter that says, make it sound like it was on tape. Got it. (laughs) And that adds like the static noise. Right. Now this ostensibly, this did a damn good job. And you did this, this was like a two week project. Honestly, let's say the text Mm -hmm. was like a 20 minute project. Isn't that amazing? I know. The art was maybe a couple of hours just because I kept like putzing around with different prompts for the art. But honestly, within minutes on the art, I already had something that was usable. I just kept doing it until I found something I just totally loved. Mm -hmm. The music was harder because I think generative music right now is a more difficult problem to solve. Yeah. And there's there's probably a lot of issues with it. Do it like you say, copyrights and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think. It's easier for a, an algorithm to come up with random quote unquote text than it is random quote unquote music. You know, I have seen examples of where they train these AI music generators on different music sets. And then they say, take this Frank Zappa track and extend it by four minutes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So then because it was trained on Frank Zappa and it knows his style and it probably even knows the track because you're going to pick a track and say, extend this song by four minutes sure it does a pretty good job in those cases it's different and weird when you have it trained on this huge data set and you say come up with something totally new yeah it's really challenged there okay now one approach that's different that i really like basically the way that generative music works right now is it trains on all the data it pulls out things like beats per minute and, and tempo and like all these types of things and then tries to guess where things would go musically. Hmm. There's a different approach using the image generation tool, Stable Diffusion, where instead of trying to understand music, they take the spectrograms of music and try to generate new music that matches that spectrogram. You mean they're using like frequency synthesis kind of stuff? Yep. Oh, that's interesting. They understand what the spectrogram looks like, and they try and generate, oh, I see that in this spectrogram, it's really high frequency or has yeah. a, like, mm-hmm. has frequent bass hits or whatever in the low range. Let's generate a new spectrogram that kind of mimics that and see if it actually resembles music. Interesting. Because CNNs work a little bit like that, where yeah. you know it's looking at images, but it's not really looking at images. It's just looking at a long-ass string of pixels. Right. Metadata, right? Mm-hmm. That's all really interesting. Now, I want to circle back to what Craig was talking about, especially around text, because text seems to be... It's the current frontier. It seems to be the most robust. That It's getting the most news headlines because like students are using it for term papers and stuff like that. Apparently, it can pass the LSATs now. I, I've heard that, too. <laughs> 
So this family friend that I was talking to, they work in theater and, and, and studio rigging, and they brought up AI being used to run EQ for stage events or lighting for stage events. Mm-hmm. And we were brainstorming, what is the point of creative endeavor, right? I am not related to the show, kind of like Craig goes and does jazz. I've been messing with writing short stories and writing a screenplay and stuff like that. And I'm like, does me trying to write a screenplay even matter? Right? Can I just say chat GPT, write a screenplay? (laughs) And here's my beat sheet. And what I was talking with my friend about is maybe the thing that got me to write this story is like three or four key beats in the entire story. And I really want to focus on those. But maybe there's this like, love scene or this really boring scene that i have no interest i know the beat needs to happen Mm -hmm. but i don't want to go spend the time to write it is it (laughs) fair for me to go have chat gpt write that scene for me Hmm. um those kinds of things it sounds like animation and tweening you draw key frames and then some grunt that makes 20 cents an hour makes the frames that fill in the motion between those key things yes absolutely And there is a creative guy that I follow, and I'm a big fan of his on YouTube. His name is Linus Bowman. He's done a recent video on his YouTube channel about this topic. And by trade, he is a graphic designer. So he does logo type and and typesetting and stuff like that. So his comments, strictly speaking, come from that perspective. But I think they apply to this conversation. And I want to let you guys listen to that. And I want to talk about his perspective on this. But I think there is a place where this could potentially improve the traditional workflow, and that's when it comes to exploration. Look, the dirty secret of creative work is that it's work, it's labor, and sometimes it's downright drudgery. It's mentally exhausting to come up with dozens of visually different ideas. The first few might flow fairly easily, but eventually you start to lose steam and then hit a roadblock. Forcing yourself to push past this can actually just bring diminishing returns until you stop, walk away, and give your subconscious a chance to process the whole thing. But that's not an issue for AI systems. You know, I think he has a point, right? And this is what I was alluding to and you too, Craig. You know, if I'm a musician Mm -hmm. and I want to play with some different constructions, different tempos and stuff like that, I think that it maybe it's fair to go like have an AI tool generate some ideas that maybe spur me in a different direction. Sure. I think it goes to what you were just saying too. You've got that drudgery part, right? You do keyframes and then you have the guy fill in Mm -hmm. the in-between frames. Same kind of thing here. We as technical people, even though all three of us dabble in the arts quite a bit, we have day jobs and we do this creative stuff for enjoyment. And when the going gets tough, we might tend to back away because, you know, mm-hmm. oh man, this is hard and shit. But actual creatives that do this for their livelihood, I don't know if they thrive on it, but I know that they just know that that's part of the job. Mm-hmm. People that have to create a piece of fine art because they have a commission. It's, I think, just all work at some level has some amount of drudgery. So I have some thoughts on that. Lee, you haven't said much. I'm I'm interested in your thoughts here. Yeah, on the writing side, I've used it in a very similar way that Craig's describing, mostly to spur on new ideas. (laughs) As a tech writer and a product marketing manager, I find a lot of the advertising in the tech industry is just 
kind of stale and very vanilla. So I've used it there, and I think it has a good utility there. And also the ability of it to fill in the more mundane tasks, I think there's a utility there as well. I think on the art and music side, it's a lot more interesting and maybe more controversial. There have been artists recently suing AI intellectual property. And I don't know, to me, that just seems like tilting at windmills a little bit. At the turn of the century, everybody was flipping out about samplers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can you have a sampler? Because they're going to put 20 musicians out of work. Run DMC is copying Aerosmith. And over time, we worked out all the legal and creative aspects and copyright and ownership. And now it's old hat. I mean, everybody does it. So to rail about AI is now generating paintings and things like that. And to have artists say, oh, my God, this is horrible. This has got to stop. It's just not practical. The the genie's out of the bottle. You are not going to put it back in. Mm -hmm. So let's find ways to work with it. Let's find ways to make it work for us. You know, instead of fighting this, let's find ways to monetize it and to make it creative for us. Do you guys think this raises to the level of like another industrial revolution level event or is it just a lot of hype right now? I think it's a lot of hype right now. I think it's a lot of hype right now, too. It still needs a lot of handholding. I don't think people really need to get nervous until AI is generating its own AI. And then suddenly it's like, oh, wait, holy shit. I definitely see it as a tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the people that are going to be the most successful are the people that figure out how to use the tool most effectively. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I really like what Linus said in his video. If I'm an artist, and I even use the example of like uh, an artist that has a commission, are my ideas going to be great the entire time I'm working on that commission? Or am I going to need to go like work on it for a couple of days and then take two weeks off just to let my brain rest? versus do a little bit of work to seed the AI with where my direction is going. Let the AI churn and produce a bunch of stuff while at the same time keeping my brain fresh. Mm-hmm. I think you could end up getting better quality content well, faster. It beca- and yeah. it becomes collaborative. You're now, you now have a partner. Yeah. Your partner just happens to be an it, AI. It just becomes a secondary tool for you to use. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And this is something I was talking with my friend earlier about. I think that there's a lot of I'm going to use an industry term, uh, FUD, which means fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Or fucked up data. I think there's a lot of FUD around (laughs) AI and what it is and isn't right now. Yes. Because AI is not the Terminator. That's a whole other thing. Right now, the technology of AI is just really fast, seeded, because I don't want to use the word intelligent, but seeded choice making. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. It's still coded by a human. It's still set up by a human. And it's really just accelerated decision making. It's not going to be able to, out of whole cloth, generate a new piece of music or a new piece of art. It's still very dependent on what it's trained on. Yeah. and And that's the fundamental thing. All AI is trained. All AI is trained. And it's only as good as the data set you trained it on. Right. And so I think for creative people, especially in our listening audience, if you're worried about the Terminator putting down his rifle and picking up a sitar and putting you out of business, that's not going to happen. <laughs> then it's like the new Yes album. That's about right. So, dude, I was I really honest to God I was going to say that, but I didn't want to. But when you mentioned the Yes, the new Yes thing, I listened to that song. Yes. It's like somebody took a chat GPT thing and said, write a Yes song based yeah. on other Yes songs. And that's what it sounds like. I want to talk also about some of the places where I think AI is really cool. Yeah. I think about musicians in particular, since this is our audience here, think about musicians who have passed, 
especially if they've passed before their prime. And I think for me, as a teen that grew up in the 90s, I'll think of people like Kurt Cobain who died. Yeah, Hendrix. Yeah, I was going to get to Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. People like Janis Joplin. Like these musicians who died in their prime or before their prime. I even think about musicians like Lane Staley of Alice in Chains using AI to take either unfinished works or semi-finished works and see what they could have been. I'm interested in that. Not that it would ever replace a Nirvana track, but just as an intellectual curiosity, what, what could we do there? Well, I like what you said earlier about areas that people are talking about using it right now, like EQ. Mm -hmm. Like we went to the Riverside show and it was a great show. I really liked it. But the EQ in the house was awful. Mm -hmm. And that is not even hard. My JBL monitors in my studio come with a reference mic and a program and you set it up in the middle of the room and it sweeps white noise and characterizes the room and then sets the speakers accordingly. It would not be hard to start creating data sets of different areas and rooms and how they sound. And mastering software is making a heavy use of AI. Mm -hmm. There's two or three companies now that are offering mastering via the cloud. And what's really interesting about that is you can give it a guide track. Mm -hmm. So if you want your song to sound more like a Dream Theater song, you can feed it a Dream Theater tune as a guide track, and it'll try to follow it with EQ and dynamics and... The whole nine yards. There's an AI tool that does modeling of speaker cabinets, I think I read. Mm -hmm. You take your guitar and you play it through your Fender amp and then you sample that. And then it models that and it uses AI to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of guitar modeling software out there now. Craig covered the band Mute Profit on Unheard Of. Right. And they openly say that they use AI for generating their tone and they're big fans of Nightwish, so they trained it on Nightwish, and then it generates a guitar tone that sounds like Nightwish. Yep. And I don't think it takes anything away from Nightwish. <laughs> Except their modeling. Yeah, but in the case of, like, John Petrucci and his cabinet and amps, he's licensing that sound to the modeling companies like Archetype. Mm-hmm. So going back to last month, and something I mentioned earlier in this episode is a segue. I was watching that documentary about studio in L.A. Right. Where they stayed analog for so long. And then the Pro Tools era happened. Right. I think, honestly, when you listen to that documentary, the anti-Pro Tools arguments that people had sound so much like the anti-AI arguments that we're hearing today. Yeah. It's just going to be a tool. Exactly. And the genie's out of the bottle. You're not putting it back. Yeah, it's happening. It's already happening. You might as well learn how to use it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. When we go back, I think it was, what, episode three or four, what is Prog? We have routinely returned to Prague being an advancement against the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I think that this fits that bill. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to get a little funny haha with the audience psych. We got you. But I thought it was really cool to be able to use it as kind of like a conversation starter as well around a topic that seems to be very top of mind for people. Very timely. These days. Yeah. And good job, man. Yeah. Thank you. Do you guys have any closing comments on like AI or anything that we've talked about here tonight? I was really impressed with the music as well. I didn't think it would come out nearly that good. I deliberately didn't listen to your clips ahead of time because I wanted to be surprised. Yeah, cool. And what about you, Craig? You know, I was at a party about six months ago and I was talking to an artist friend of mine. And that was the first I ever heard of OpenAI and ChatGPT. And since then, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's fascinating that an artist friend was at the forefront of a 
technology thing going down. Cool. For me, my closing thought is don't fear it. I think it's just a tool to use. And my recommendation is go look up some of these tools. Like anyone can go use ChatGPT. It's free. You just need to register with an email address. There are different versions of art generation tools. If you want to set up your own thing, you can do stable diffusion if you're technically inclined. There are tools like Dolly and some others that you can go do there. And then there's quite a number of different AI music tools out there. So the one that I use for this one is a place called evokemusic.ai. You can go listen to all their pre-generated samples and stuff out there. I would encourage people to go look at it because that'll demystify a bit of it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. As we exit, don't forget, you can always find us on Instagram and Twitter at UP3Show and now Mastodon at UP3Show on the Mastodon.social server. And you can always contact us via email at UP3Show at gmail.com. We definitely want to hear from you guys and especially about a topic such as this one. I'm afraid we're going to get flamed, but I still want to hear about it. I want people to reach out and let us know what they think. If you want to give the show some support, it's super easy. You can support us non-financially by subscribing on Podbean at up3show.podbean.com or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Also, if you don't mind, please take a moment to write a review. That does help the infamous AI algorithm. (laughs) Train it. Pop the show up higher in the ratings and then the search. If you would like to support the show financially, we would really appreciate it. We are on Patreon at patreon.com slash up3show. If you toss some coins our way, it helps pay for things like up3show.com, put extra content out there occasionally, and we would really, really appreciate it. With all that said, we will talk to you guys next month. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Hey, folks. Tony here. If you made it this far, congratulations. You're getting everything you can out of this podcast episode. As a reminder, we're a podcast about commentary and opinion on prog music. We use samples of music to make our point and to teach others. We make no claim of copyright to any of the music featured in our samples and strongly recommend that you support the artists we talk about by buying their albums and merchandise or seeing them live. If you're an artist and you'd like for us to change how we've used your content on the show, please contact us directly so that we can work together.